0: You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com surfing or at surfsimply.com.
1: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 22 of the Surf Simply Podcast. We're recording on Wednesday the 9th of December 2015. My name is Harry Knight and with me today is Asher King. Hello everyone. And Jesse Carnes.
2: Hello, guys.
1: We've lured you out, Jesse. I
2: know. Thanks lured for having you back.
1: me. Welcome back to the show.
2: I know. It's been a really long time, but I'm excited to be here.
1: What have you been up
3: to?
2: Uh, this past week, I went surfing with Asher and Rue and... I've, if you guys saw on our Sir Simply Facebook page, there's an awesome photo of me dropping in on Rue. That was yeah. a pretty good one. That was <laughs> a
1: good <burn. laughs>
2: Yeah, um, I always drop in on Rue, and I'm surprised he still likes surfing with me, uh. but I only do it because of his response, <laughs> and it's always so positive and funny. <laughs> um, but we had a we had a really good
1: time. You just got back from Indo as well.
2: Oh, yes. I did get back from Indo. Yeah, that was an experience of a lifetime and I'm already itching to go right back.
3: Maybe exploring some locations for future satellite projects?
2: That definitely was uh, in, in the talk. And the place that I went to was definitely a good potential place to, to go and, and to bring guests, for sure.
1: And we've, uh, I mean, actually, we've had a good run of surf here. We, we went and, just after the last podcast record, we went and surfed the, uh, the reef around the corner from here, Ash.
3: Yeah, I feel like we say this every week, but we've had a
1: really good run of surf yeah, that's been fun. I've been having a ball here. My uh... my only upset is we had that really good session. We we walked in. It was dark. We walked in at 4.30 in the morning to get there because we had to be at work. Yeah, a little uh, pre-work a little surf session. Later, but um, we had a really good session, really nice waves, nobody else out. And then just coming in, I just took a little inside wave just to get me through to the keyhole in the reef. And smashed my fins into a rock, ripped out that I haven't ripped the fin box, but it was a massive like tear through the glass where the where the fins have gone in, and the the tips of the fins have all been shredded. Oh. Out
3: that's, uh. Well, on the bright side, uh, the criticism with FCS twos has been, oh, they, they have to be so easy to pull out because they don't have that fin screw oh. system, but. If there was any situation that was going to pull out FCS 2s, it would have been this, and they like, stayed strong.
1: I, I, yeah. I mean, I was going pretty fast on the wave, and then this rock just sucked up, totally dry, ran two of my fins into it. It's taken a good chunk out of the tips of the fins. Like I said, the, the glass on the board has failed before cool. the before the fin boxes failed
2: good i just ordered uh, a new board with fcs2 fin setup
1: so yeah i think you can not <laughs> worry yeah, well, about see. your fins talking out. they're safe and sound Fantastic. they are indeed let's move on to the news then i think the biggest thing a week ago i would have said that i would not have cared whatsoever about the big wave world tour and then that event at jaws was incredible The biggest thing in the news, no pun intended. Yeah. Or maybe pun in is is intended. (laughs) Maybe the pun was intended. That event was, I mean, actually, it has to be said, I'm still not sure that I care that much about the Big Wave World Tour. I'm not that fussed about who won that event. Billy Kemper won the Mm -hmm. event for, for reference. But the thing that just blew me away was sitting there watching live guys paddling into waves like that because a lot of the big wave world tour events the waves are so soft and mushy i was listening to someone today saying that they they should call it the big burger world tour (laughs) the big burger world tour (laughs) but but this event was insane
3: yeah i like how you're calling it an event and not a competition because it's really hard to put numbers and scores on something of that magnitude where it's like any wipeout that happened out there was life or death have you seen the wipeout reel
1: It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Oh, my God. uh, Ladies and gents, I will post this on the show notes at surfsimply.com stroke podcast. Go and watch the Wipeout Reel for that event. It is ridiculous because Jaws is not just – there's a lot of the events that they surf at where the waves are big, but they're kind of soft, gentle roll-ins. And Jaws just isn't. This is not soft. Oh,
2: some of the GoPro footage that the WSL was was producing out to was incredible.
1: Oh, really? I haven't seen any of the GoPro yet because I know that they had a GoPro separate prize was was something like ten ten thousand dollars for the best GoPro video, and yeah. I haven't seen any of these GoPro videos yet. It,
2: it's just a it's a different perspective because obviously they're dropping straight down to the bottom of the wave, and mm-hmm. all you see behind them is like this avalanche of white water. And their faces are so calm and relaxed, (laughs) and you're just looking at this monster behind them. And, yeah, it's a really cool perspective, even though that they're just sort of going straight down the line. It's it's interesting.
3: You know the waves are big if it looks good on the GoPro footage. GoPros have that tendency of making two-foot waves look 20-foot. Yeah. And 20-foot waves look two-foot. Yeah,
1: everything, every, all waves on a GoPro pretty much look like they're about shoulder to slightly overhead.
3: Yeah, it's the fisheye effect. So for those that footage to turn out looking huge, I'd say that says something
1: about mm-hmm. the, the wave size. Yeah, and then obviously the the really weird thing with that, because the, the Big Wave World Tour events have pretty much a six-month waiting period, and they just, you know, okay, there's a storm coming. Mm-hmm. Everyone flew off over to Maui, and then surfed the event at, at Piahi, and then that night was the Surfer Pole Awards which is the, I guess the closest thing we get to an Oscars ceremony in yeah, the surf world. Mm-hmm. It's um, our red carpet event. It is and we were very excited. I don't know that, that those listeners that have been with us through our trials and tribulations of this podcast may remember the, the Surfer Pole last year threw up all sorts of funny events.
3: Oh yeah. It was weird this year's event almost had a, uh, a big wave world tour hangover. Yeah. It was like such an adrenaline dump watching that event all day that somehow the Surfer Pole webcast didn't really seem
1: that interesting. It didn't seem that interesting. Well, and a lot of the guys literally were helicoptered in. Like They they yeah. they finished surfing as the sun went down, jumped onto helicopters and walked in. I mean, that's pretty rock and yeah. roll. I was going to say, they're such rock stars. <laughs> that is pretty rock and roll. <laughs> On the note of comparing it to last
3: year, so last year is obviously that fiasco with No Dean and everything. And yeah. Guys on stage kind of causing a ruckus.
1: Hockey uh, getting drunk.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I noticed on the What Youth website, so they were nominated for Movie of the Year, mm-hmm. but they didn't get an invitation to the event. Really? Yeah, so it seems that last year's behavior may wow. have excluded them. Oh, that's interesting. That's so interesting.
1: What movie, though, they were nominated for Cluster? Cluster. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, which
3: we've had a segment on, and I love the movie, but it didn't really hold a candle to
1: view from a blue moon. I was about to say, it. it Everything changed, didn't it? A view from a blue moon only came out a week before this event, but and it I mean, won all it, the categories. It walked away with it. John John took movie of the year for View from a Blue Moon. Uh, he did the best performance in View from a Blue Moon. He got the best maneuver for that massive alley oop in View from a Blue Moon, um, <laughs> and then finally rounded it off by getting the, the number one slot in the men's, beating Kelly Slater. So did anyone win anything that wasn't John John Florence? Uh, Yeah, a few people did. So Dane Reynolds, he got the best short for Sampler. And Fisherman's Son that we talked about uh, before on the podcast got the best documentary. If the listeners haven't seen that that is just an amazing documentary it's very cool isn't it very, um, and actually the one I was very pleased to see they did an award for the best web series and Tour Notes got it the, the thing that Hurley have been putting out with are just little behind the scenes clips mm-hmm. that Peter King's been taking while on tour with the, the Hurley team and I, I really like that of all the little web series that go up I really enjoy the Tour Notes ones if, if anyone hasn't seen them then, then check them out because they're well worth it and then of course Carissa Moore won the women's I was quite pleased to, to, to see the, the list of people that were winning the event. It was nice to see that Carissa and Sally and, and Coco all, all got the, the top slots. You know, they've been competing really well. But no Courtney Conalogue. No Courtney Despite Conalogue. coming second, despite a fantastic season. Uh, Steph Gilmore made the list, which is great. I don't think she has surfed in six months. Yeah, cause she's, she's been, been injured. injured. I don't think she's even free surfed in six months. And Alana Blanchard still somehow made the list, which makes me surprisingly angry
3: yeah she's continued her <laughs> slip down the uh down the the pole but she's still on there
2: just to go back to Courtney Conalogue I've been following her on Instagram and, and Facebook and social media and it seems as if this year towards the end of the tour when she was like in the running for world title that she did start boosting that sort of social media so maybe it's because no one really knows about her even though um, she is second in the world like yeah. I do think that she's starting to put herself out there a little bit more with, like, advertisements and
1: and things like that. It does surprise me because, you know, this surfer poll is, it's a a voted for thing by Mm -hmm. by readers of Surfer Magazine nominally. It does always surprise me the, the way that the readers vote for the women. Because I wouldn't even say that now, if you opened a, a surf magazine, I, like I get it, Alana Blanchard was for years and years, she was the sexy surfer girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that that's true anymore. I think you're more likely to see, you know, that th- I would have thought that that would have been divided up. You've got girls like Anastasia Ashley, you've got Tia Blanco, you've got all of these other very beautiful girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't seem to have diminished Alana Blanchard's hold over that position as the sexy surfer girl.
2: I think she was one of the first female surfers to sort of go out in a thong and I think, or a small bikini, I should say, and sort of take that surfing into like a modeling career as well. And maybe these girls that you, you just named, they're a little bit younger than her and you know, they're maybe following the footsteps. So yeah, that maybe that's becoming more of a,
1: right, of a but, thing. But what I would... What I would then expect is, you know, as as people are voting, like, Mm -hmm. what was it that made somebody vote for Carissa Moore to put her number one? Well, probably because she's had an amazing contest season. She's done really, really well. What was it made them vote for? Sally Fitzgibbons, Coco Ho, Stephanie Gilmore. You can kind of justify why it happened. Yeah. Why didn't they vote for Courtney Conalogue? I don't get it because Mm -hmm. anyone that was voting... Uh, for those previous four, surely surely was aware that that Courtney Connolly was doing well. And then who was voting for Alana Blanchard enough that it got her to fifth place that wasn't also then voting for Tia Blanco, for Mm -hmm. Anastasia Ashley and and all these other, Sage Erickson, Laura Reneva, you know, all of these other girls that are are going down that sexy surfer girl route. Surf model image. Like I don't understand how that, I, I get it how when Alana Blanchard came out and she was the only girl doing that, the largely male audience of, of Surfer Magazine responded to that and she won the surf poll year after year. But I don't see how that's still holding true. Um, on the men's, John John won it. Kelly got second. Mick third. Julian fourth. Gabrielle Medina fifth. Owen Wright. Dane Reynolds. Philippe Toledo. Chloe Handino. Joel Parkinson. I, don't, I mean, I didn't feel that any of that was particularly surprising.
3: Yeah, yep. I feel like that kind of fell in line with what I would have guessed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much In fact, I think that's exactly what I would guess the results (laughs) as. Good. So the surfer pole's over and done with for the year. And as if the big wave world tour and the surfer pole happening on the same day wasn't enough of an adrenaline dump for us, um, there was also a bit of a tragedy at Pipeline, or near tragedy, I should say, uh, where Evan Geiselman pulled into what was a huge closeout, uh, hit his back of the head on the reef. And was knocked unconscious, and he, he almost died. Luckily, he got saved by a bodyboarder
1: out there, but really tragic situation. Well, potentially tragic situation, yeah. And it, it have you seen the the video mm-hmm. where oh. the, the guy finally kind of gets him up to the surface, and he said he was blue-purple by the time he gets him up, and you can see him, yeah. see him trying to put breaths into him. It's a, a really good example. You know, all, all of the coaches here at Surf Simp, you know, we all do our lifeguard training every couple of years. And I don't know about you guys. Like, I've, I, I mean, I know you used to work as a lifeguard, mm-hmm. Asher, but... You know, I feel like that's such a, a fundamental skill oh, if you're going to so spend that time in, in the, the water because just out free surfing, you know, I've helped people back to the beach that have been in trouble. Absolutely. And, uh, I think to have that ability to, to help someone who's in trouble, just, just so important. I've had a lot of rescues and administering rescue
3: breaths in the water without a flotation device, without a buoy or anything is incredibly hard. And imagine You are it not at, a big guy. Yeah. And imagine <laughs> doing that at Pipeline when it's 20 foot yeah like that that's nothing short of heroic that's amazing yeah
2: through all of this it's kind of cool i know he went to the hospital and stuff but it's kind of cool to see him coming out of it and he's okay and you know nothing really bad happened to him and he's probably going to be out surfing again in the next you know two weeks or so so that's that's the cool part
1: right on to the contest then we had the final round of the Women's World Tour take place, the Target Maui Pro at Honolulu Bay. Jesse, you've been uh, keeping a little eye on the World Tour over the last year?
2: Yeah, I've, I was watching it, and I especially watched this one. It was uh, a nail biter, as they say. Courtney Conalogue and Chris Amore, and basically it sort of worked itself out as whoever beat the other person won the world title.
1: Yeah, I think, I think Courtney had to finish one ramp up didn't she if if carissa yeah. fell in the quarters then courtney needed to win it and if, mm-hmm. if courtney fell in round five carissa needed to get to the semifinals. so they had to have a tier between them but
2: yeah and unfortunately courtney um got put out in round four by coco ho and that's what i want to talk to you guys about because that was such a big heat there was a lot of things going on coco Ho's surfing was Incredible! This whole contest. Oh, she stepped it up. She really did. There's a few things, and I'd like to hear y'all's opinion too. Um, I think she was on a bigger board for one.
3: Big check mark.
2: Yeah, uh, it was not her hometown, but her home country. And I heard rumors that her dad was like out in the lineup with her, sort of pushing her. And as well, Coco Ho got a nine on her first wave, which mm-hmm. put the pressure on Courtney big time. And Harry and I were talking about this the other day. It looked like Courtney was just... It looked like she was surfing a different wave other than Maui.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that wave at Honolulu Bay is incredible. Like, it Look, I want to go and surf that wave. It looks oh. so much fun. I, in fact, I don't know why it's not on the men's tour. Yeah. Like, there are, most of the waves on the men's tour are not as good as the waves that the girls have got the last two years at, at Honolulu Bay. Like, it looks incredible
2: it looks like the perfect wave
1: but it also looks like one of those waves where you have to to surf the wave you can't just go out there and surf the way that you surf you have to surf honolay banes you have to do what the wave presents itself and it it, yeah we we were talking the other day Jesse, about how some of the surfers out there just looked like they were really reading the wave timing the turns. And going through everything at the right pace
2: it's like at the beginning of the wave you want more drawn out turns and 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 then that barrel opportunity as well Mm -hmm. and then as the wave sort of ends they're looking for tighter sort of radius of turns and and multiple turns Mm -hmm. um but it it actually looks like Courtney was surfing Margaret River if you guys did you guys see her at Margaret River she won Mm -hmm. that contest Mm -hmm. and That wave favored her a little bit more, and it's kind of a similar wave. It has the barrel and the takeoff, and then you sort of work the shoulder a little bit. But it looked like Courtney was just sort of forcing the turns rather than, like Harry was saying earlier, just surfing the wave. Yeah. And another thing is, I mean, Coco Ho, she made a lot of mistakes, but she corrected her mistakes right away when she was on the wave. Like on that nine, her first wave, she went to get barreled, messed up a little bit, and then readjusted to get more time in the barrel which was it was cool to see her reading that wave as well as she did mm.
3: yeah coco host seems to perform better when the waves are good maybe that hawaiian background but yeah i think she was surfing on another level than she has all year yeah. yeah i think
2: the i think the bigger board has something to do with it too <laughs> yeah on a
3: wave like that there's
1: really no reason to shy away from a bigger board i mean you, the the advantages are huge yeah the advantage is huge i think as well that you know the women are very unlucky with the stops that they're given that you you look they have some great stops. There's a lot where there's it's a lot definitely now. better than it was a couple it, of years ago. It's a lot better than it was a couple of years ago, but they still have those couple of events where it's just kind of soft beach break. And then they have that whole bunch of events, like all of the Australian tour where they're there at the same time as the men. And they're just getting and the, the men, worst conditions. The men get the prime conditions. And even, you know, this year at snapper, the men got terrible conditions mm-hmm. and then the women got the worst conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, You know, you you look at surfers, like you say, Coco Ho seems to surf powerful waves incredibly well. And I'm just thinking back over the tour this year, there haven't been very many occasions where the women have had big open faces to start working with.
2: So in the semifinals, we had Alessa Quizon, which is really good for her because this is probably... One of the few contests where she made it all the way to the semifinals. But unfortunately, she was against Carissa Moore, who ended up winning the whole contest. Mm-hmm. And in the other semifinal, we had Sally Fitzgibbons against Coco Ho. Mm-hmm. Um, the final ended up being Carissa Moore, the total heat score of 19.50. And Sally Fitzgibbons with a total heat score of 17.90. So it was a really close heat as I was well. To say,
1: it was great to see both of those girls just came out and just started laying into it Mm -hmm. you know just turn after turn wave after wave like that's the sort of score that you want to see at the end of a a final at the end of a a year of competitive surfing you you want to see less than two points separating and right up at the top. you know Carissa Moore's half a point off a perfect heat total Mm -hmm. like that's how you want someone to win a world title
2: and I think it was because that wave I think it was like a high nine a nine point five oh she fell at the end um, and yeah. I think that's the only thing that stopped her from having two tens yeah. was the fact mm-hmm. that she just sort of fell at the end.
1: Yeah, she just kind of caught that rail. She went up for the, almost sort of a little layback hook under the lip right at mm-hmm. the end. And she, and it just looks like her rail caught on that last section. And, and yeah, other I mean, otherwise that would easily have been a 10-point ride.
2: Right. Sally Fitzgibbons had her high score was a 9.23. Mm-hmm. It was the same two maneuvers as Carissa's wave, but i think she got scored a little less as chris is 10 because the turns were just a little bit smaller and the wave was smaller yeah so carissa obviously got really lucky with that set wave that came in that allowed her to get that 10
1: too. Yeah, bigger set wave and carissa Moore is a little better on her rail as well and sally fitzgibbons is so small and lightweight yeah it always looks like she's just struggling a little bit to really lean in on the rail of the board and uh, to be fair carissa Moore is tiny as well yeah um i've surfed at uh, trestles at one point with her and i was amazed at how you know just how small she is because mm-hmm. she does turns that are better than a lot of the guys on tour you oh know, yeah the, oh, the, I the, think the men's wct like i think carissa moore does better power surfing than a lot of them
3: i think carissa moore is definitely a good enough surfer to replace several of the men on the ct yeah, yeah.
2: that way where she did get a 10 in the final she pulled into the barrel came out and did the biggest grab rail cutback that i've ever seen any female do ever before so it was cool to see her you know she already won the world title and then still stepping it up in that final
1: so who won the uh, the women's fantasy surfer that is an excellent question so yeah we've now rounded out the year just to finish that off uh, carissa moore won the world title mm-hmm. uh, with courtney conalogue in second and sally fitzgibbons in third for our fantasy surfer which is all that anyone really cares about mm-hmm. clearly Boyce's picks is the winning team boys congratulations Two thousand eight hundred and eighty points with corin coming in snapping at his heels with 2852 points so yeah i don't know if you guys want to want to get in touch with us and give us a ping and give us a some post post tour uh feedback i was doing very well on the women's tour at one point and then i'm not quite sure what happened
2: i was going to say you guys are lucky that I stopped doing it. Because <laughs> I was winning at one point. Why and did you I... stop doing it, loser? Um, I know, I'm such a loser. I just started doing other things with school and responsibility.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tell you what, the men's fantasy surfer is preparing for a showdown. A showdown, well, yeah, and so pipe... The final event for the Men's World Tour is just, well, not quite getting underway. The Trials is kicking off as we're talking to you right now. The Trials have just started in, in Hawaii and the main event probably looking to, to start in the next day or so. So mm-hmm. that's well worth a watch. But you do have another day to uh, finalize your fantasy surf teams if you haven't done them yet. OK, we thought it'd be kind of fun. This is going to be the last podcast that goes out probably before Christmas. So we thought we'd do a little sort of Christmas gift guide for those of you that have surfers in your lives, and uh, so we've we've kind of broken this down. We've got three categories. We're going to have a, a little stocking stuffer, uh, you know, nothing nothing too big, but but something something little that you can give to somebody. We thought we'd have some books because everyone likes a book, and final one is a, a luxury item, sort of, which whatever way you want to go. So, uh, I know, do, 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 who wants to start with the stocking stuffers?
2: Oh, I'm definitely going first. Yeah. Christmas is one of my favorite holidays. Uh-huh. Um, so I picked the FCS Deluxe Fin wallet. Um, I have one of those. Yes. Yeah, you're a an organized one. person. It's a really good <laughs> one. I am not. So I think that this would be a really good thing. For those people who have their fins lying around everywhere, I literally have one in my kitchen. So I think it would, you need a big stocking to put it in because it's not a small wallet. But yeah, I think it's a really good gift. It organizes all the fins that get lost and misplaced in those little fin keys. And I think it would be a really good idea.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, it's funny. I felt a bit weird buying it. It's like, oh, why do I need a fin? I'll buy one anyway. Like, yeah. it, it, see, I've got all these fins lying around. They're in plastic bags and stuff. And actually, I, I really like it now because I keep you know i've got a lot of sets where i've got a thruster set and a quad set well obviously i'm not using it all at the same time so when i've got a quad set up the back fin just goes in there like i know exactly where it is i've got a couple of fin keys in there i've got a couple of spare leash strings in there and then when i pick up and i go on a surf trip you know when we go down to peru i just chuck all my fins in there set set done like no no problems at all and it actually i i would recommend it to anyone
2: yeah, I think it's a good one. Asher and I have a uh, fin huge box, so maybe Santa will bring us a fin wallet. hope so, because
1: <laughs> I, I seem to have a lot of fins floating around my bedroom at the moment. My little stocking stuffer is something, again, this is something that I would never have bought myself initially. And then somebody bought it for me as a, as a little gift a few years ago. And since then, I've probably bought about ten. And it is one of those pickle wax remover those Yeah, those are,
2: those are amazing. Which, they save your life. For
1: those of you that never used it, getting wax off a surfboard, especially if you're not lucky enough to live in a sort of fairly warm, sunny climate, getting wax off a surfboard is a pain in the butt. It never um, wants to. You can never get all of it off. Well, you can never get all of it off. Like You, you, you put the board in the sun and get the wax off. You use a wax comb and, and you, you get, get, a little get some film. of it off. And then you end up getting the white spirits or petrol or something and pouring it all over the surfboard. It's just terrible. And you can never get all of it off. These pickles, they're, they're really good. They're really efficient. It, all it is really is a sock. And it's full of dust. Uh, it's foam dust. There's actually, they go around to all the shapers on the north shore of Hawaii. And they get all the foam dust from the shaping room floors. Mm-hmm. Put them in these bright green socks and you you literally rub it over. And what, what happens is the, the foam dust kind of leaks out a little bit, gets onto the, the wax that's on the board, which then obviously takes all the stickiness away from it. And it, it, it just brushes off incredibly easy. No chemicals going on the board, nothing to to trash. And all you end up with is a bit of dust on the floor that you can then sweep up and put in the trash there, I. Cannot recommend them highly enough. What about your little little stocking stuffer present, Ash?
3: My stocking stuffer is a DVD, mm-hmm. uh, and not the one you might guess. Instead of uh, View from a
1: Blue Moon, I'm going with Psychic Migrations. And what made you choose that over View from Blue Moon? Because well, I thought View from Blue Moon was pretty spectacular.
3: I think it, I agree with you, but I'm thinking that the surfer you're buying for probably already has it. so you don't want to be they don't they should do we don't you don't want to be the one that double gifts so safe bet psychic migrations amazing movie would have won surfer pole any other year but john john florence had to come through and change
1: the game now we're good so on the on the book front i'm going to recommend a book that i just finished reading uh, which is waterman by david davis it's a biography of duke hanamoku i found it super super interesting he's a a very influential character in surfing, but also a real sort of legendary swimmer and just a, a, an ambassador. I mean, he, he pretty much was employed by Hawaii to be an ambassador for Yeah, him. Very, very interesting book. Thoroughly recommend it. And myself and Asha are actually going to be talking to David Davis for the next episode. We're going to interview him. So. Which I am very much looking forward to. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Waterman by David Davis is my book. Jesse?
2: Mine is, so I went on Instagram and I saw this artist and he's kind of like Andy Davis influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, he's based out of Australia. His name is Jonas Clayson, I believe. And it's a book, not for everyone. It's a, it's a child's book, but it's a surfing animal book from A to Z. And the reason why I got that was for my niece. Okay, She's two years old mm-hmm. and I am the surfing aunt and I want her to surf with me one day. But um, I think if you guys have any kids out there, younger kids, of course, I think it would be a really good book.
1: Yeah. I, I love it when you have a, you know, even kids' books, when they're beautiful kids' books, they they survive and they endure. Like we, we, I've got a stack. I say I've got a stack. My mom has a stack of my old kids' books. And there's a whole bunch that just, you know, got tossed out, regifted, sent to the charity shop or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole bunch where they're just beautiful.
2: Yeah, this one's it's a gorgeous book i'm so excited that i got it and found it
1: and actually you mentioned andy davis andy davis did a kid's book as well andy davis and andrew kidman did a a kid's book called way of the bird and it was andrew kidman's photographs which andy davis then drew surfers all over oh cool super beautiful it's very beautiful very uh, very cool little book what's your book
3: ash so I've talked about this book before on the podcast, The History of Surfing by Matt Warshaw.
1: Oh, mind-bogglingly good book.
3: That is required reading for all listeners. Guys, yeah. it is just the most interesting book. Uh, surfing history is so rich in stories, and Matt Warshaw does a really good job as a storyteller. Uh, he really kind of paints a colorful picture of the whole history of our sport that's led us up to now. Yeah, And it, it is a big read, but it's worth it, and it's also a beautiful coffee table book, tons of cool photographs yeah you're gonna want that in your house
1: yeah i think it, i mean had i not just finished reading waterman i would definitely have put the history of surfing on that mm-hmm. list it's just just awesome so lastly then a little luxury
3: asher what was your uh i went uh, i went very luxury on this one oh, yeah? so i've been having a lot of fun with alternate designs lately and a friend of mine uh, actually a friend of mine and jesse's from back in Florida, just started a new surfboard label called Black Rose Manufacturing. And uh-huh. he specializes in alternate designs. So these okay. surfboards are really inspired from uh, kind of mid-length single fins from the 70s, uh, similar of the heavy uh, nose-riding logs from the 60s. But they're not just doing copies. They're doing really updated versions with new foils on them and bottom contours. So they're That's taking inspiration cool. from the past, but they're really functional. These boards aren't just pretty heavy resin tent boards that are meant to hang on the wall they work unbelievable very cool i was lucky enough to surf them a couple of the prototypes last time i was in florida and they went amazing so Mm -hmm. i'm going to recommend that you guys go ahead and get a mid-length single fin from black rose very cool jesse
2: if i lived in the states i i think this would be something that i would want you two to get me for christmas Uh um unfortunately we live in costa rica and they do not sort of ship out here but it's um a fanatic fin subscription
1: oh i really want this too i know (laughs) it's pretty cool and
2: fanatic fins is basically like the old version of netflix but for fins so Mm -hmm. they send you a set of fins that you like you try them out and then if you like them you keep surfing them or you get uh, another set of fins sent to you it's a really good idea for those surfers who are trying to find that perfect fin we all know how expensive fins can get so the Fanatic sort of fin subscription allows you to try all different types of fins for, I think it's like twelve ninety four a month. So I, I think it is on the luxury side. Obviously, that adds up. But if you get a year-long subscription, you're going to have a lot of knowledge with fins from all different shapes and sizes. And you can really sort of change your surfing based on that it's it's that such a cool fin. idea isn't it
1: you just uh, get the fins in the post surf them and then when you're ready to try something new, stick them back in the post and, uh, and and wait for the next set to come i would love them to expand that service because i think i'm right in saying right now it's only a u.s based service isn't it but
2: yeah it's only I,
1: I feel like it's only a matter of time before that expands out to, yeah, to what europe a good idea. to australia and it might be a while we might have to get postal addresses out here before we can use yeah we might need that <laughs> so my luxury item again this is something we've spoken about on the podcast uh, quite a little bit over the year uh, is trace little motion tracker gps receiver that that goes on the front of the board and it measures a lot of the metrics for for how you're surfing on the board i feel like having a you know something like a gopro or something that records your surfing is is a cool novelty for a couple of surfs but then i found when i've done it i've kind of gotten a bit bored with it and i've gotten mm-hmm. you know it's only it's all that same angle you kind of get over it a little bit with trace i found that the amount of data that i'm picking up each session is constantly pushing me to surf better and better and better i can see how on rail i'm putting the surfboard so i can cool. see how fast i'm going i can see how many waves i'm catching and it pushes me every session that i go out with that thing on the board mm-hmm. it makes me want to surf a little bit better
2: it also sort of tracks the distance that you paddle and i know a lot of our listeners and past are simply. Guests, you know, question us about their paddle fitness, and I think it's a really good way to sort of push your paddling and and to see how much you're paddling each session to sort of start mm-hmm. thinking about increasing that wave count. Yeah. So it's a really good tool to sort of not only push your surfing but push your your paddling fitness as well.
1: For the price, it's a lot cheaper than a GoPro. It's a lot cheaper than you know the Rip Curl GPS watch, and the amount of data that that thing pulls in is just phenomenal and i i i think that it's going to get better and better and better and i'm i'm very excited to say that myself and Ruth spoke to david lockshin who is the ceo of trace so i've actually got a little interview with him for you guys to listen to
0: You're listening to the Surf Simply
1: podcast. David Lockshin, you are the co-founder and CEO of Trace. I think that's correct, isn't it, David? Yeah, that's right.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: For those of you guys that don't know, David grew up in Southern California. He's got a bachelor's degree in applied mathematics from Harvard University and has now started applying that mathematics background to surfing.
4: David, do you want to give us the official line? Like, what, What exactly is Trace? Sure. So basically, Trace is an action sports tracker. It's a small sensor that goes on the nose of your surfboard and tracks everything about your surfing. So it'll tell you how many waves you caught, how fast you were going, how big your turns were, uh, how many calories you burned. And on top of that, if you like taking video or if you GoPro, it'll actually auto edit all of your video for you. So we take out all the boring parts, we just keep the highlights, color correct it, put stats on top of it. And so it's this uh, all-encompassing action sports tracker that keeps track of your activity and also syncs with all of your video and takes the headache out of editing it. I've been using Trace for about a year now. I think
1: I'm right in saying you you started a Kickstarter campaign in the end of 2013?
4: We started a Kickstarter campaign at the end of 2013, uh, sent out our Kickstarter versions of Trace in November of last year, yeah, which and, was- yeah, formally launched in July of this year with a, a brand new version of Trace.
1: Yeah, and it, it, I think I'm right in saying that Kickstarter campaign may be one of the first sort of crowdfunded surf products that I was aware of anyway, of, of trying to use crowdfunding to generate a, a surf-related product. How did you guys find the traction for that? Did, did, was there a good pickup on it or did it, did it take quite a bit to get it going?
4: Uh, It took quite a bit to get it going, but there was awesome traction on it. At the time, Kickstarter was still fairly new, and we were, I think, one of the top 1% projects that had launched at that point on Kickstarter. So we raised more than $160,000 over the course of 30 days, and a lot of it was just grassroots, reaching out to surf schools, reaching out to surf publications. It works for other sports like skiing and snowboarding as well, so reaching out to those folks.
0: So when you first uh, got the idea for doing Trace, was it primarily for skiing and snowboarding and then surfing came afterwards?
4: Yeah, exactly, so we launched, we were working on a whole bunch of ideas and we launched an app called Alpine Replay at the time, which is now the largest network of skiers and snowboarders in the world. It's half a million plus users on the platform and we always wanted it to be more than just an app, we always wanted to build the hardware and so became the platform on top of which that we created the sensor and launched on Kickstarter. Very
1: cool. So am I right in saying so Alpine Replay took the GPS and the inertial sensors from inside the phone to provide the day, you know, you turn it on, put the phone in the pocket, go skiing, go snowboarding and that's then tracking you down and what you've done with Trace is to take similar hardware and put it into a, a, a box that can be mounted to the ski, the snowboard, the surfboard or whatever.
4: Yeah, and, and it's way more involved than that. So, there are more sensors in Trace than um, in the phone, a much more powerful GPS. So, it's anywhere between 10 to 100 times more accurate than what the phone can give you. Uh, it comes in a super small package, you don't have to use the phone's battery. So, that was kind of the thought process behind Trace is your phone is great for a lot of things, but for a lot of these sports that we're going after, you really need something dedicated.
0: So can you just talk a little bit about how accurate the GPS is in the Trace device that goes on your board, the current version of the hardware, uh, compared to, say, what might be in, in, the, in someone's iPhone?
4: It's hard to explain without showing you a picture.
0: <laughs> yeah, a uh, podcast you know, probably using, isn't the best <laughs> format. Yeah, <now>. exactly,
4: of <laughs> using like a phone versus using uh, a Trace, but it's, it's infinitely more accurate, and when you see the results, it's just it's eye-opening. Trace is capturing data a thousand times a second, Your phone captures data around one time a second and not very accurate data at that. So it's just it's incredibly more accurate. That's interesting. So is Trace
1: pulling a lot of its data from the inertial sensors? Because am I right in saying that GPS pretty much sends out a ping about once a second, which anything listening can then use to triangulate its position?
4: yeah so without getting too technical uh that's exactly what's happening is uh, satellites are sending down signals and there's a lot of math behind figuring out where you are yeah but there's a lot that goes into that so signal strength and antenna is one thing Uh, we have a much more powerful antenna inside the trace
1: okay and so there are a couple of other products i guess the most well known is going to be that rip curl gps watch right the the, the search gps obviously trace has a, a whole bunch more sensors in that so what extra data are you guys able to pull that a GPS-only device is going to struggle with?
4: Yeah, so there's, there's quite a bit. Something as simple as calories and accurate paddling is something that the, the rib curl can't do. And the other thing you have to remember is that while you're surfing, your hands are moving all over the place. So you're not really uh, measuring what your board is doing or what your body is doing. You're measuring what your arm is doing, which makes it uh, very inaccurate. Yep. So, you know, they do give you speed. It's not as accurate as the trace. They give you wave count. It's actually not as accurate as the trace. Uh, and I know I've had some conversations with Harry about that. So, even on the things they do give you, trace does a much better job. But on top of that, information about your turns, individualized waves over the map, speed second by second as you were on the wave, uh, airtime if you're doing airs, although, you know, that's far and few in between, at least for me.
0: So uh, I'm personally really interested in... This is kind of like a three-part question, so maybe I'll just sort of (laughs) say it and then let you talk about it a little bit. Um, But I guess whenever you have a a large data set uh, in any sort of subject, you've really got to ask first, well, what questions do I want to ask of the data, which sometimes can be as challenging as collecting the data. And then the second part is, well, how do I answer those questions using the data that I've got? So I'm really interested in hearing you talk about how that process has evolved uh i mean specifically with the skiing which i assume you have a lot more data at this stage than you do with the surfing side of the app so i'd like to hear you just talk about that and i'd like to hear you talk about how the type of questions that your average surfer is asking of that data have evolved and particularly with the introduction of the channel island team who you've got uh, surfing for you now, and whether those questions have changed. Like, for example, you know, were people originally looking for length of ride as a big factor, and, and now they're looking more for the the angle that they're putting into their turns.
4: Yeah, I think it it depends on a enormous scale. So, let's start with a consumer, and we do have a ton of data on the skiing and snowboarding side. So, we have something like twenty five million runs uh, worth of data. That's terabytes and terabytes of geospatial data, and On that, it's part of it is luck. I'm a snowboarder and skier myself, so I knew what sort of things I wanted. And a lot of it is uh, listening to user feedback. So for example, Harry has been awesome in saying, hey, I'd like to know more about this or I'd like to know more about that. And when you hear that enough times, you you put into the app and you see how people engage with it. We've already, since launching, made a ton of changes to the surfing app and add a lot of information that uh, people are super jazzed about. That's kind of on the general consumer side. Jordy has a very different set of questions that he asks. He wants to know which board he performs better on, and what sort of turns he's more likely to uh, accomplish. And without getting too much into it, because part of that is is secret sauce. It's very very detailed. <laughs> yeah. Um. To the point where you know I'm not I'm not linking together turns the way uh, Jordy or or C.I. are and you know CI wants to know more about how does rocker really affect the surfboard or how does uh, putting more glass or less glass on it how does putting channels on it affect the surfboard and, and we do all of that analysis for them as well but that's you know very different than what you get on the app
1: you mentioned Geordie Smith he's now come on board with you guys as a part owner is that what's Geordie's role yep. within the
4: as a partner in the business he obviously uses it uh, while surfing and gives us tons of feedback of how he wants the app to change how he wants the product to change he's a a stakeholder in the business as well and
0: how did that connection come about
4: so we brought in a coo who his name is brad blankenship used to be the president of ruka Mm -hmm. and i think he had a mutual connection with jordy and we showed jordy what it did he surfed with it a couple of times and just said "I, i want to be a part of this
1: that's very cool. That must be very gratifying for you to have, you know, one of the best surfers in the world. To yeah, be that it's very surreal.
4: It's very surreal. It doesn't get old. I've got a stack of his Chopu guns in the office here uh, that he's leaving with us for a little bit. And it's just so cool every time I walk in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i <I'll> bet. <laughs> Um, and am I right that the I saw his boards that he was using at Halieva. It looked like the the mount that he was using was sunk in under the glass job. Is that right?
4: Yeah, that is right. So that's a partnership we have with Channel Islands, and pretty soon you'll be able to buy boards from CI with uh, cups inserted into into the boards.
1: Okay, and and does that put the whole trace flush with the deck? Or?
4: The trace is pretty flush with the deck. It still sticks out a little bit, yeah. but it's uh, it's fairly flush with the deck. Yeah,
1: that's very cool. And the deal that you guys have, have struck up with Channel Islands, how did that come about? And, and what are you guys hoping to get from it from your end? You were mentioning that you're providing Channel Islands with a lot of data in terms of board construction and design and how that feeds into the surfing. What, what are you guys hoping to, to pull from, from that
4: partnership? So from our standpoint is I think CI and I have very, very similar goals. And that's just to get people riding the right boards for them. In every other sport, you know, you can go to a store and they'll tell you what shoes you should be running on. You go to Taylor May, they tell you what golf club you should be using based on your swings and stuff like that. And in surfing, we have volume, which is something people look at, and then some hodgepodge of maybe I need more rocker, maybe I don't need more rocker, maybe I need this tail, maybe I don't. Yeah, it's very um, abstract. Yeah, it's it's super abstract, and we just want to increase the, the performance of equipment and and help people make informed decisions about what board they should be using.
1: That's, I mean, that sounds super exciting as a,
0: as a push forward. I'm personally very excited to be able to put traces on people's boards that we're coaching and then be able to say, look, you know, go out and do three turns like this with your arm here. Now try three cutbacks with your arm here. And like, let's actually use this data to show the difference. And, and actually, I'm really excited to be able to do that in a wave garden or a wave pool, where you're reducing the variables down even more. Do do you see that um, the kind of data that you're getting back and the kind of information you're providing to the user evolving down those lines in the future?
4: Um, well, a lot of what you describe, you know, you can kind of do already because we we show you things like how long did it take you to make that turn, how big was that turn, how much speed did you generate. So I know for myself. I, I grew up inland, and I love surfing, but no one really ever taught me how to surf, and I didn't realize that bottom turns were kind of the, the key to good surfing. Yeah. And so now one thing that I focus on is really increasing my speed out of the bottom turn, and Trace will show you that, and I've done a pretty good job of getting better at it. So a lot of those things um, Trace already shows. It just depends on how much time... You want to spend looking into it.
0: So, actually, that just leads me on to something else I wanted to ask you about. I got the impression that you know you've got this background in, in skiing and snowboarding, and I just wondered if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your personal sort of surfing experience and how you got into surfing. And
4: yeah, I am lucky enough to live in Southern California, where for years and years, actually, my dad and I skied and surfed on the same day. His birthday is on January fourteenth, and uh, we'd go up in the morning and ski, and then we'd come down in the afternoon. And we'd surf. So I started uh, boogie boarding just, you know, as a kid, my grandparents had a small place, they lived in Carpinteria, which is near Rincon. And I actually took uh, my first lesson with one of Matt Moore's sons. He's a famous shaper from that area. And after the lesson, his son gave me one of his beater boards, and that was kind of it. You know, once you, once you surf, it's game over. You get hooked for life. So I was probably 11 at the time, and I've been surfing ever since.
0: Yeah, I, I, so I started Surf Simply myself in 2007, uh, and I've have, have grown the business. And I've found, you know, like any business, there's been really difficult times where it was just my passion for actually teaching surfing that kind of pulled me through. Um, and I was just wondering, I'm, I'm sure that there have been challenges for you getting traced to the point where you are now. And I was just wondering if, if you know, you, you could just talk about that a little bit and, uh, and some of the challenges you've faced and, and, and what's got you through those challenges.
4: Yeah, I think I'll I'll start in reverse and just answer that the things that have gotten me through the challenges are just the belief that we're building the future. And I do believe that. I think sensors are going to be everywhere in surfboards, in snow boots, and bindings, in... Motorcycles and all of this information is going to be tracked so that you can improve your performance, see your activity, and part of that will be video. So this uh, undying belief that what we're doing is, is the future and we'll, we're building the future is what has kept me pushing through it. But I mean, all of the success stories that you read in, in newspapers and blogs and stuff, that's one for every 10 million stories about a company almost coming to its death. And, you know, we we probably had two or three of those. Things are obviously much better now. But, you know, there was a time where no one knew what Alpine Replay or Trace was. And everyone thought this was the worst idea in the world. I remember I went to go see my college roommates and I was showing them the first version of Alpine Replay when we had maybe 50 users. And I remember my roommate in college he just looks at me and he goes, this is really cool and there was a little bit of a pause and he goes so when do you think you'll start looking for a real job <laughs> and uh, you know, he didn't he didn't mean it as as dispiriting or anything like that, he was just he saw it kind of as a gimmick, as a toy so we've come a long way since then
1: Yeah, fantastic um, I actually just wanted to, to backtrack very briefly and we, we were talking about the Kickstarter campaign and you, your dad was the other co-founder of the project, I think I'm right in saying Yep,
4: that's right.
1: And is, is he still involved? or is, is he? Oh, yeah, he's
4: still very much involved. That's fantastic.
1: Yep. And, and what did you guys find going from, you know, when you put the Kickstarter campaign together, you had a, a prototype that was sort of working and giving you some data. What were the biggest challenges going from that to, to a full-scale production where you're now, you know, turning out thousands of units?
4: There are all sorts of things that go wrong when you go into mass production that you can't foresee you know, the way we were waterproofing things mm-hmm. worked when we were making 10 versions, but didn't work when we were making 1,000 versions. Right. That was probably the biggest problem that we had. We completely underestimated how much corrosion there would be from the ocean. We uh, totally underestimated how much force there would be on the clipping arms in the first version of Trace. Yep. So uh, lots of lessons that we learned there and, and transferred to a new product. But, uh, yeah, I mean, everything changes when you go from making 10 and making sure every screw is screwed in properly with the right torque and to go to making a thousand a day, it's, it's different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can believe it. And so where, where do you see trace going next? I mean, I've seen some quite cool videos. I saw a couple of guys using it to measure their downhill mountain biking. I saw one guy using it to auto edit his footage of his paragliding. That was very cool. Where do you guys see trace going next?
4: Yeah, so we see Trace as a platform for all sports. So expanding sports and uh, making those activities that you're passionate about more fun. And I can honestly say that Trace has made surfing more fun for me. I can take a look and see if I'm reaching my goals in terms of waves that I'm catching. um, Are my rides getting longer? Are my turns getting bigger? To just, it's cool to be able to share those videos from time to time. I guess, from just a vanity standpoint, expanding into more sports and, and kind of the mission of the company is helping make those activities that you're super passionate about, increasing the engagement in that activity and, and making it measurable, shareable and comparable.
0: So I, I, that's, it's really heartwarming to hear you say that, actually, I completely agree with you. Um, so as we've sort of developed Surf Simply over the last decade or so, we've been fighting this uh, sort of cultural idea that you know surfing can't be taught and I'm sure that well you you already mentioned that you like like us when we grew up and came to surfing like coaching didn't really exist other than the sort of entry level learn to stand up type of lessons or the really uh, kind of advanced level coaching for the the top competitors and the one thing I find myself saying to people all the time is that The better you get at surfing, the more fun it is. And more specifically, the wider range of conditions you can go out and have fun in. Uh, And I believe quite firmly that having more data helps people get better quicker Uh, It it removes all of the doubt about what the variable was that's affecting people's surfing and it helps them isolate what the limiting factor is in their surfing, which they need to work on as a priority first in order to progress. Just from my own point of view, I think Trace is going to be one of the most important tools that that we're going to be using going forward. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for all of the work that you've put in to bring the product to market. Thank you. I
4: appreciate that. And stoked that you guys have so much fun using it.
0: Thank you very much for speaking no problem. to us,
4: David. I uh, I really enjoyed this. Thank you, guys. Yeah, bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: That was really cool. Very insightful.
4: Yeah, and
3: I mean, Trace is such a cool product. I mean, guys, you should check it out as soon as you can. They're so much fun to play with.
0: Yeah.
1: Nearly time for us to leave you. Just a final closing, our What to Watch section that we do each week. We mentioned this last week that we would... Uh, watch View from a Blue Moon and come back to you. Uh, myself and Asher and Rue all watched it last week. And Had a little pizza party, a little, little viewing little...
3: party, a couple beers, a little bit of John John Florence surfing.
1: and uh, Yeah, I mean, if you go online, you will find over and over again people frothing and raving about the film. But I, I think it is just genuinely worth pointing out. Some of you may remember a few years ago the, the movie Art of Flight, which was a snowboard movie that was produced by Red Bull and this company called Brain Farm and Brain Farm is also the company that's now done uh, View from a Blue Moon, and the production values that they brought to Art of Flight, the way that it upped the game in in what a snowboard movie should look like. Absolutely amazing. I mean, they've done the same thing to surf movies with this, that the production value of... I mean, the surfing is incredible. Mm -hmm. Visually, it's beautiful. The whole thing's shot on Phantom Camps. But both of those things have been done in the past, and I think that the thing that you can see in this movie is just that increase in production value that's been brought to it. The whole stitching together—you know, someone's gone out and just recorded all these little sound bites to put in over the top of the the video footage It's yeah, Just incredible. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of hard to, to to explain in a way, but watching that movie is like watching a Hollywood production of of a surf film.
3: Yeah, I, there, there has been nothing as pivotal in the filmmaking department for surfing since in the original Endless Summer. I mean, I don't think anything has ever captured surfing kind of in all the beauty that it has to, you know, to, the, to eyes that have seen it before. You know, yeah. It kind of captures everything that you want about travel, you know, how mesmerizing these waves are. It, it, two thumbs up, greatest yep. surf movie ever made. Yeah, I
1: I think as a movie, it has raised the bar on what people are going to produce. And I'm really pleased to see, because there has been like this little movement in the last year or so of this super, you know, kind of lo-fi VHS. Oh, look, we're filming on VHS because it's cool. And to see John John just go the exact opposite way and film on these $70,000 cameras and have multiple helicopters flying around trying to get cool panning shots as he's doing some you know, really groundbreaking surfing. Like that's what I want to see. I want to see someone going that route to create an amazing movie. Yeah. I mean, can't say enough about it. The production
3: value has never been done before. And I can't wait to see what builds on from this. You know, where
1: do you go from here? Yeah. Well, this is it. You know, now that that bar has been raised, you know, all these other companies that are putting, putting stuff out, they're going to have to think about it. That said, you say, uh, where do we go from here? We mentioned a couple of uh, episodes ago, the Samsung WSL virtual reality surf clip. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I found this week is that GoPro have made one as well. Also of surfing in Tahiti they've got this um, spherical it's called Gopro spherical yeah and they've gone and done the same thing and again it's this virtual reality you can scroll around look up down left right wherever you want while someone's surfing and it I mean it is just so cool Rue's just uh, flown off to the states for a couple of things and he's bringing back some of those yeah we um, need those virtual Google reality goggles glasses. and I cannot wait to watch these two movies in that
3: So right after we finished View from a Blue Moon, we were all kind of surf buzzing, and Sterling Spencer had just released his movie, Gold. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, throw on Sterling's movie, and then putting it on, it was just the most comical contrast to John John's movie. Yeah. I mean, the surfing looked almost silly compared, but it it was a
1: really funny movie. Yeah. Uh, Sterling Spencer's got that interesting side to him, doesn't he, that he, he is able to produce comedy that makes you laugh.
2: He's always been really funny. I think ever since he's like started making surf videos and stuff, you've always seen him like goofing around and yeah. you know not taking himself too too seriously.
1: The surf madness movie that they did a couple of years ago was the same, but I wonder if it will be similar in that it doesn't really survive a second viewing.
3: Oh, I can. A test too. i watched it a second time
1: yeah and it was better
3: than the first
1: oh well there we go that's that's one up because i i felt that with with the surf madness movie the first time it was kind of funny the little voiceovers and the mm-hmm. little silly stuff and then the second time you watched it it wasn't that funny anymore and then by the third time it wasn't funny at all and the surfing wasn't high enough quality to really hold the movie together
3: yeah i feel like sterling's movie has enough quotable sections
1: to have a little life and jokes in the office for a little while. Awesome stuff. All right, well, for now ladies and gentlemen, that is all that we've got time for. Thank you very much for listening, and if we don't get an episode out in time, have a very happy Christmas. Merry Christmas everybody.
2: Merry Christmas to you all and happy new year. <laughs>
0: That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.